Welcome, friends. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your host, also Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, here behind the What's Right microphone. Let's get to it. I saw this article yesterday. I had it ready to go yesterday, and other things were going on in the world, so I didn't uh, immediately get to it. But I have to tell you, uh, this piece here, I agree with this study 100%. Writing for the New York Post, Andrew Court goes over a uh uh, this was a, a survey done of employers by a company called ResumeBuilder.com. And in it, it found that Generation Z, Gen Z, uh, these are folks who are, I think they're basically born after 1997 or later, okay? And these these are people that employers absolutely, absolutely are done with. <laughs> now, 40, let's see here, but 37, 38% found, and interestingly enough, that these folks have even uh, lacking technological skills. Uh, 37% lack of effort. 37% of respondents in the study said there's a lack of motivation for these workers. Said they're easily detracted, easily offended lack drive, oftentimes dishonest, and even entitlement ranking high, approximately 23% of those, again, surveyed. Now, I, I will tell you, I, I, my number one thing, and I work with a lot of young people, I work with people that are, you know, as, a, as the owner of a law firm, I, I have, uh, I, I, I do some of the hiring once, you know, they go through the initial interview process with, with my HR team, then I will sit down with candidates and have conversations with them and and then you know sometimes we'll obviously we hire people and not every situation works out and one of the top things that I'm finding out now that is so different from when I originally was hiring people back in let's see I want to be accurate with you here back in 2000 2004 I can say I legitimately started my first business where I was hiring and starting to build the staff. And so back in 2004, I'll tell you, I don't think I ever had a single person quit by coming and and into my office and telling me that they had they needed to quit for their mental health. I know many of you listening have businesses or you know whether it's a contracting business or a, you know a, 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 a uh, whatever you your business owners out there, a lot of you out there are, and I don't know if you found the same thing as I have, but I've had a number of people come basically come into my office. I this is too stressful, and listen, I, I know the job they're doing. It's not too stressful. The job's manageable. There are plenty of people around the person doing the job and doing it better. The problem is. That for whatever reason, younger people now more than ever before are susceptible and emotionally fragile. Now, what could be the reason for this? I think, I suspect, part of the reason is 
that if you are a person born in 1997, 1998, 2005, you've grown up basically hearing nothing but bad news every time you look anywhere. The left has these people absolutely at their wit's end. And it's by design, of course, because driving these people to a fearful state then makes them loyal vassals of the state. But the byproduct of it is that these people end up becoming, they're short-circuiting in a way that, that I mean, I'm 42 years old. I, I can't ever remember a job that I, I can't even, I cannot even imagine folks, to be perfectly honest with you, coming into my boss. I'm, I, look, my, my first job was I worked at a, at a library. No, no, no. I'll tell you what my first, my very first real job was a, well, it was a summer job, but I worked as a tour guide at a castle in, in Europe, in the Czech Republic. I would travel to uh, the Czech countryside and work at a castle. It was a great gig. I, I learned how to speak and present myself in front of people. And by the way, great training for being a lawyer. Uh, that is a fact. Also great training uh, for being a talk show host. So anyway, I did that. And then I worked in a library when I was in college uh, for a little bit. And then, and then ultimately settled and worked uh, full, almost started partly full-time and then eventually full-time working for a personal injury law firm, a support staff. And it was stressful. I remember that job. I remember the law firm job. So I, I understand a little bit when people get well, when they can get a little overwhelmed, young person starts a gig and all of a sudden it's a real deal. You know, you, you, you mess something up and you're messing up somebody's case. You're messing up somebody's life potentially. So yeah, there's, there are things, you know, there's some, there, there's some skin in the game. But what absolutely blows my mind is how people deal with it. I had somebody recently uh, put in uh, their notice uh, here at my firm and, and, and not even give me two weeks. Just come in and say, listen, I just I need to be out of here for my mental health. There was that buzzword again, my mental health. And literally, I, I said, well, okay, well, I mean, great. Well, we'll start winding this down. Let's transfer some of your work. And she goes, yeah, I, I have to leave today. I mean, on what, what planet is this person on? That to me is just beyond the pale. So I, I, I never imagined that at 42, again, I'm 42, that at, at, at this relatively young age, I would start to sound like a, a, an old grouchy man kind of you know, yelling at the sea here back when I was young. But no, I, I just, I don't imagine this. I remember, side note, I remember, and uh, I wonder if my father remembers this conversation. But I remember a conversation right when I started that law firm job. One day, our boss, the main partner in the law firm, came in and gave everybody a stern talking to about being particular about uh, information that was put into our computer program related to when the date of a particular accident occurs because that's the date that then tracks the statute of limitations. And back then, this law firm operated in California and in Nevada. Back then, we, we had a tight, in California, tight one-year statute of limitations. And so if you didn't put in the right date and then you filed the lawsuit or didn't settle the case in time uh, by the, by the you know, one-year mark, 
of uh, you know following the accident, you know, you, you, you were, the case was gone, and the law firm was responsible for paying the client's damages. And so we got this big stern talking to and just yelled, and you know, you could make a million dollar mistake. And I, you know, I was 19. Nobody ever told me, hey, Sam, you could make a million dollar mistake. I, you know, and I'm a conscientious person. I, I went home and I kind of had a little small breakdown. My, I remember my dad was standing in the kitchen. He goes, well, you wanted the job, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, you, you're making great money. And I'm like, yeah. Well, then get over yourself, and e either you can handle it or you can't. <laughs> and I just remember walking back to my room. I said, well, you know, <laughs> I think he's on to something. <laughs> so what do you do? You just put your big boy pants on, and, and that's not a genderous term. It's just, you know, you put, your, you, you put them on, and you, and you deal with it, and you face the music. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But yes, I am firmly convinced that all of this fear-mongering, starting already, frankly, with my generation, there were so many kids that were so worried that the earth was ending because all of these stupid science teachers in junior high were te you know, telling us about deforestation and holes in the ozone and all of this nonsense. And all the kids that didn't have the benefit of having wise parents at home that were able to educate them and enlighten them about the fact that this was all very much bunk. What did they go to bed every night thinking about? They thinking literally that the world was going to end. And today, oh my gosh, it is, it's, it's gotten even worse. Think of all of the fear, uncertainty, and, well, it was... <laughs> confusion that the left puts in the minds of young people. And remember, again, it is the purpose of the, of the left to build a victim class. If they build resilience, if they build motivation, if they build all of the positives of the survey from Resume Builder that New York Post wrote an article on, all these things that are bad that these young people are doing in the workplace, if, if, if the left were to teach the opposite of it and encourage the opposite, what would they have? They'd have independent, strong people who likely would not vote Democrat. And what, ha what, what just absolutely wrecks me is that this is, this is all just a perverse and very cynical political ploy at the expense of, of, of our future. And, and frankly, it goes to the core of what this country needs and what this country is all about. And we need to change this. And it starts at home. It starts with, you know, one family, one child, one kid at a time. And for those of us who are business owners and managers, you know, enough of this, enough of catering to this, to this insanity you're not, you're, we're not doing these kids, these young people, any favors. If I go back and I think about what has made me successful, it's that I was fortunate enough that at certain key moments and times in my life, not just parents, but I had, I had other adult mentors and bosses who didn't 
baby me. They gave it to me straight. And I trace, I credit all of my personal, personal and professional success to that. And the people, you know, the, there's no shortage of people who just blow smoke up your, up your, you know, up your rear, uh, but it, it doesn't do you any good. I'm speaking now to all those of you out there who want to be handled by kid gloves. I kind of doubt you listen to this program, though, frankly. All right, Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT, taking a quick break. Back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings. I'm back. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show your place for common sense conservatism, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. So just as I was telling you about my my first law job, where I had my my boss come and, 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 and what, he didn't berate us. He just, he sat everybody down in a meeting. I think somebody had, had blo- we call it, he called it blowing a statute. He, somebody had missed a statute of limitations and didn't file a case in time. And as a consequence, right, the, the, the client, the accident victim now, uh, didn't have a recovery. Uh, and so, you know, that's, a, that's legal, you know, that's legal malpractice, plain and simple. Yes, and by the way, lawyers do this all the time, and it's, it's frightening. And I, it's part of the reason why, part of the reason why later as I got uh, into this business and I, I understood better how it worked, I... I created a new software program called CasePeer. CasePeer is used by a number of personal injury plans, personal injury firms. And I, I, I built it specifically. It all started with tracking all the different statute of limitations, making sure that, you know, lawyers could really kind of a foolproof way that they'd never miss a deadline. And then, of course, it became, you know, grew from there. But I, I, all, I bring all this up because in the statute of limitations, what a lot of you are asking me about this case that is starting now in New York City, E. Jean Carroll, this kooky lady, she was an advice columnist for Elle magazine, claims that Donald Trump sexually assaulted her in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman. Now, Bergdorf Goodman is a fancy schmancy luxury department store in Manhattan. It's just uh, off uh, the Central Park, there, um, it, it's 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 a it's a it's a ritzy joint, okay. And in this this happened allegedly back in uh, sometime in the 1990s, mid 1990s. So a lot of you are asking, well, how is this possible? I mean, how could she be suing on something that happened so long ago? Wouldn't the statute of limitations, the time? in which you'd have to file a civil suit for something like this, including sexual assault, wouldn't the time have passed for this? And the answer is yes. Most jurisdictions you have maybe two to three years. New York, it's three. But it turns out that in 2000, let me see this, 2019, 
they passed a law. No, 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 22. In 2022, New York passed the Adult Survivors Act, opened a one-year window from November 24th, 2022 to November 24th, 2023 for people to sue for their alleged uh, sexual assault cases, even if the statute of limitations had long expired. And this lady filed her lawsuit within minutes, minutes of the law taking in effect, taking effect in uh, November 24th of last year. So that window remains open in New York. A number of other states have done this. So this explains the genesis for this occurring. And I, this case, look, I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a truth detector. This lady seems a bit kooky to me. And, you know, whether, okay, you know, ultimately we don't know if it ever happened or not. But I, the whole thing to me just stinks. All right. By the way, do you know who's paying her legal fees, right? She's been, you know, the, pr proceeding with a case like this is very expensive. And she actually is getting financial support for a case, and this is according to Politico, right? This is not Breitbart, this is not a fringe conspiracy theory, but Politico reports that Reed Hoffman, speaking of tech founders, he's the co-founder of LinkedIn, uh, is helping pay for the lawsuit. And this is a matter of, I guess, you have, well, you have to put this in the court filings in New York. You have to say if there are funders for a particular suit. So he's, uh, Hoffman, by the way, is a major Democratic Party donor. And, uh, and, and, and look, so this is a whole, this is yet another get Trump exercise. Personally, every time I see this case pop up, I think, oh my gosh. That it's even being allowed to go to trial, this this is this is bananas. Um, and uh, but it's in federal court. Uh, no cameras allowed, so there's you know they're not getting. And Trump, by the way, has said, "I'm not testifying. I'm not even showing up." And you don't have to, by the way, in a civil claim. Uh, so I guess he's 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 bounced. He did his deposition. They can they can play his deposition. Presumably, they videotaped it. And uh, so he's basically opting out, and um, it it is um, it's it's uh, what do I think? Well, listen, I mean, it could end up with a with a verdict in her favor. What do I think is going to happen? I mean, it's a it's, it's a jury in New York City. It doesn't matter that it's federal court; you're still picking from the same jury pool, pool right? So that jury pool is. 98% get Trump, hate Trump, orange man bad. So the likelihood of a of a fair trial here for Trump I don't think is, you know, is 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 existent. Now standard of proof here civil cases, right? It's, you know, it's is more likely than not you got to prove that. Uh so she's still it's the burden of proof though is on the plaintiff. This lady has to prove her lawyers will have to prove her case, but I think with the jury that is is willing to go along with this is, um, yeah. Hey, producer Robbie, you're bringing up a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, germaphobe, yeah, the germaphobe Trump getting it on in a public dressing room. I don't know. It, it, this is like the whole golden showers thing and the whole nonsense with the prostitute. It's just it, 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 there's no way that any of that ever happened. And I, I definitely think that there can be some hyperbole here. All right, friends, got a new poll here about Hunter Biden. Tell you that when we come back. Sam Marjofsky, back after the break.
Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Greetings, friends. Sam Rajofsky here. Now listen, uh, very important in Nevada, you need to know this if you've been in an accident, it's illegal for attorneys directly or indirectly to sign you up at the scene of an accident. And even despite this prohibition, it happens every single day. Tow truck drivers, so-called paralegals, they're listening to their police scanners getting to the scene of the accident, sometimes even before the police all an effort to get you to sign up with a lawyer and that lawyer then the way it works i hate to break this break this to you but then they pay them a cash bonus if this has happened to you you can be you may be entitled to compensation you may be entitled to right this wrong call or text sam and ash injury law at 702-820-1234 because and this is the most important thing it's never too late to hire a lawyer that does what's right. 702-820-1234 or visit salmonashlaw.com. All right, we have a new poll here and it's not good for the Biden crime family. By the way, that is what uh, now Trump is starting to refer to the Bidens as. I like it, it's got a ring to it. But this is, by the way, before I get to the poll, here's Trump's response to Biden launching his campaign, putting out that video that we talked about yesterday. Listen to this. You could take the five worst presidents in American history and put them together, and they would not have done the damage Joe Biden has done to our nation in just a few short years, not even close. Thanks to Joe Biden's socialist spending calamity, American families are being decimated by the worst inflation in half a century. Banks are failing, our currency is crashing, and the dollar will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat in over 200 years. Real wages have been falling 24 months in a row. In other words, under Biden, workers have gotten a pay cut each and every month for two straight years. Now, of course, Trump is right about all of this. Uh, his is his dollar in danger speech, and he's correct. Uh, but don't you worry. Uh, Biden thinks that he has accomplished quite a bit. Uh, some of his, one of his uh, super PACs uh, has come out swinging uh, with all of his accomplishments. And this just, to me, I don't know. I mean, I just think it's fantasy land. I think this is, it's just next-level delusion. But I, I suppose, to repeat an old Stalinist adage, you keep repeating the lie long enough, it becomes the truth. Four years ago, Joe Biden laid out a better path for America with a promise for a new chapter to bring us back. And look what he's accomplished. Capping prescription costs for seniors, bringing manufacturing back from China, and making historic investments to rebuild America. Now, let's finish the job. There's not a single thing we cannot do if we do it together. Unite the country.
is responsible for the content in this advertising. There's not a single thing we can do. There's not, there's not a thing. I can't even say it. There's not a single thing we cannot do if we do it together. There we go. Thanks. My brain is working faster than my mouth today. Making investments, by the way, is not an accomplishment. It's politicians speak for spending your money without being able to show results. They're investing. They're investing. In what? In completely destroying this country? Fabulous. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, the thing that Biden and none of the, I guess, what is it, 30% of people that want him to run again are recognizing, and this is a Hunter Biden scandal and this influence peddling nonsense is, is going to catch up with them. The latest Rasmussen Reports survey found that 40% of likely U.S. voters believe that the investigation of Hunter Biden is likely to lead Congress to impeach President Biden, including 18% who say it's very likely. 55% don't think Congress is likely to impeach the president over the Hunter Biden probe, 29% not likely at all. But the biggest part of this is they believe overwhelmingly that Biden's son got preferential treatment from the IRS that it's a serious scandal and a majority of voters believe, uh, again, believe that there will be consequences for this. Now, my, my what's right show Sam Rajofsky asterisk to this is that this, these are the numbers uh, at a time or up until a point that this hasn't really necessarily hit the mainstreams yet. Now, you're aware of it. I'm aware of it. We talk about it here on this program. Other conservative commentators certainly have covered this as well. But if you're one of these, you know, CNN watching, MSNBC watching, or not watching anything at all and getting your news from quick snippets here and there on Instagram, well, then you haven't. This hasn't really hit you yet. You're not aware of it. So what happens when, when there's you know, evidence of real serious wrongdoing comes forward and it's going to become difficult to deny for reasonable people, including Democrats? And we've seen a number of Democratic lawmakers already come forward saying, listen, well, this is of concern and we're certainly watching this and we're going to take action. Now, if Biden becomes the nominee, meaning he succeeds at clinching the Democrat nomination for the presidency which would happen sometime in the middle of the summer next summer a year from a little bit more than a year from now then i would expect democrats to close ranks at that point he's the guy he's the nominee and you know they're, they're going to hold their nose uh they'll hold hold their nose a, a long way to protect biden uh over you know over perhaps trump or or somebody else I don't know, folks. I have a feeling. I wasn't going to get into this. I have a feeling, frankly, that there is a chance that there's still going to be there are going to be some upsets in this race. Every time, I don't know. Maybe it's because I I'm always concerned when there's too much consensus. 
If you ever catch yourself thinking what everybody else is thinking, as a general rule, it's good to begin questioning the premises uh, involved in your position. Because I, I, I don't li- I don't like it. So here, my my pro- one of my point is is that the, the, you've got pretty much everybody now saying, well, it's going to be this Biden Trump race. That's what it is. That's what it's going to be. And I just don't know if that's as obvious yet. And there's so much time. Got the whole primaries to play on. Now, what's DeSantis doing? This is a lot of people are asking. He's on a world tour. Trump is hitting him for this because he's you know, spending ostensibly uh, Florida taxpayer dollars to jet around the world. Uh, he's bolstering certainly his, his foreign uh, policy credentials. He's, he's meeting with people. That's not unusual, by the way, for governors, particularly governors from large populous states, governors of, say, California and Florida, just to name a couple, that have international businesses, located in their states who are looking to court international business. Not unusual for them to travel. So the Trump hit is not necessarily a fair one. The timing of it, of course, tends to suggest a political reason behind the trip. But a lot can still happen. And I, I don't know, I, I, the idea that DeSantis somehow is dead in the water, I was looking at one particularly active and outspoken conservative commentator online who's seeing no path forward for DeSantis now and to get the nomination. I just, I think it's just far too premature to make that call. And I know a number of you out there are, are strong DeSantis fans and I, look, I, I, I get it, and I, but I'm telling you, I don't, I wouldn't give up hope here at all. A lot can happen. Yeah, you want me to talk? Rob, you want me to talk about that? Okay, well, there was a story yesterday as well, come to think of it, where there were some, well, there were some unnamed off-the-record sources that indicated that Trump would be open to having DeSantis as his running mate. So the question is, what do I think of that? What's my, what's my sense of it? Well, listen. I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? If it's not completely made up, then that source was close to Trump. They're floating this out there as another means of stopping DeSantis. Right? They're going to float this out there. Hey, listen, you know, we're going to you know, hey, let's 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 close let's close ranks. Like, the fact of the matter is that that Trump even though he is by some polling 37 points ahead of DeSantis, still recognizes that DeSantis is an existential threat to his pathway to the nomination. And as such, understands that, that you know, a, a, a marriage of convenience might be a way for, for everyone to get what, what, you know, what they want. Now, does DeSantis go for this? I don't think so. But stranger things have happened. And by the way, for everybody saying, well, you know, all these terrible things that he has said about DeSantis and whatnot. Man, let me tell you about politics. You have to have a thick skin and a short memory uh, if you ever want to smile and uh, and enjoy a pleasant conversation and even get anything done, frankly, that you, you want to do because 
It's a cutthroat place. People are mean and nasty. That's what politics is about. And uh, you hold grudges for every mean thing that somebody said about you, and it's, it's over. All right, got to take a quick break. By the way, if car that one of the ugliest cars on the road is being discontinued. And what does that mean for our military? <laughs> You'd think those two wouldn't be connected, but they are. Sam Burjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Well, this is a lawsuit that I can support. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Michigan students are suing their school for banning Let's Go Brandon sweatshirts. By the way, my <laughs> my youngest daughter loves saying Let's Go Brandon. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, catch my show last couple weeks. I was traveling with her in the Czech Republic, and we were explaining this joke of course to our friends over there in Europe and and I well they loved it I mean they loved it I just want to say something again about the let's go Brandon deal here I I have to say I lo- I think it's really funny I mean it was if you remember what this was all about right you the NASCAR driver you know yeah it's Brandon Brown you know, the crowd's there, you know, they're they're yelling a profanity, you know, F Joe Biden, and along, you know, this hapless reporter there, I they're saying it was a mistake. It was not a mistake. She deliberately goes, I think they're I think they're chanting, let's go, Brandon. They're you know, they're supporting you. <laughs> so we conservatives, because we have, I think, a far more evolved sense of humor than our friends on the left we immediately adopted it and instead of using the profane slogan we decided because that's what you know whatever i like this it's let's go brandon so what of this apparently a school in michigan said that these kids couldn't wear any of this slogan on any of their clothing tri-county middle school in uh, the school district there said that messages that are lewd, indecent, vulgar, or profane, according to the D- Detroit Free Press, were banned. So this reminds me of my client here in Las Vegas, Chris, who had this sign on his truck. Some of you remember the story. And his association here in Las Vegas banned him or they were fining him hundreds of thousands, hundreds of dollars, not thousands, hundreds of dollars each month for having this large Let's Go Brandon sticker on the back of his pickup truck. And ultimately, we got them to back down. Uh, I, I mean, th- this loss is going to succeed. I, this is not profanity. It's literally not profanity. And I went through it uh, with the lawyer on the other side who was representing the uh, the association. And he says to me, Sam, it's profanity. And I said, okay, let me take you through a little exercise here, sir. I can say it on air. <laughs> That's what I told him. I said, I can say, let's go, Brandon, on the radio. And the FCC, one of the uh, greatest, most prudish 
word police agencies out there will allow me to say it. I remember when this was on the evening news and, and, and there was there was my client, Chris, was talking about what was going on to him. And, you know, the reporter shows the sticker on television. Not on Netflix, not on HBO, but on broadcast TV. I said, if it's good enough for the What's Right show, if it's good enough for AM radio, if it's good enough for broadcast television, buddy, it's not profanity. And he then, this lawyer, some of you recall this incident, he accused me of stochastic terrorism. (laughs) Just an angry lib. In this particular case, an angry, bald liberal. I looked up his photo and I was... I was, well, just looks like a madman. So I, um, I, I'm, I'm, look, I'm just bringing all this. I, that was my argument. I don't know. What do you think? Pretty good, right? And I think that's going to be the, the fundamentals of the argument here that the students likely have put in their lawsuit. I haven't read the actual pleading. Uh, but, um, you know, but they're, they're basically, they don't, they're, they're, there are some First Amendment rights that apply. You, you can't prevent students from, uh, expressing their political views, and that I think is what this is going to fall into. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see. I, I expect the districts will will back down on this, and and I can picture exactly what is going on here. By the way, they are one thousand percent the school board and the district. They are all card carrying members of the Demo- Democratic Communist Party, and they all hate Trump. And this is just getting their panties all in a in a knot, and that's that's fine. I mean, it's what it is, but they're they're just clouded by their own bias that they're unable to see beyond individual rights of these students. So pretty normal stuff. Now, I don't know if you've heard this, but one of the world's ugliest cars is getting the they're killing it, the Chevy Bolt EV. Nothing will get you less women men than driving a Chevy Bolt. And if you drive a Chevy Bolt and are getting women, uh, you're, you've got secrets that I need, to, I need to hear about. But anyway, apparently now there is a push to the Biden, the Biden people, this administration back to where they're located. They're not actually in DC. They're not at the White House. They're not in the West Wing. They're actually located in Fantasyland because they are pushing to take the military vehicle fleet to full electric by 3035. And this is insanity. And it's to the point, by the way, that even liberals are going, this is, this is, kind, of, this is kind of bananas. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, and she's in the administration uh, talking in the Senate Armed Services Committee. This is uh, with Senator Joni Ernst. Listen to Ernst go, hey, are you sure about this? Is this really like, is this where we're headed? Do you support the military adopting that EV fleet by 2030? I do, and I think we can get there as well. And I do think that reducing our reliance on the volatility of globally traded fossil fuels, where we know that global events such as the war in Ukraine can jack up prices for people back home, it uh, does not contribute to energy security. I think energy security is uh, achieved when we have homegrown 
clean energy that is abundant, like you see mm -hmm. in Iowa. We think that we can uh, be a leader globally in how we have become energy independent. Yeah, I don't think she believes this for a minute. And by the way, energy independent, where does the cobalt come from? You know, Africa? Yeah, microchips from Taiwan? <sighs> the world is coming apart at the seams. We have oil here at home. Just got to drill for it. These people are so stupid. Now, speaking of insanity, I'm going to talk about some statistics that are coming out now about trans kids that are alarming. You do not want to miss this. Sam Rajovsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT. The What's Right Show will continue in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Back, second hour here of the What's Right show, coming to you loud and clear from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. I am Sam Marjofsky, your host. You've seen me on the billboards, Sam and Ash Injury Law. I'm the, uh, well, let's just say the less attractive one of that duo. Also, uh, well, certainly less intelligent. That is a fact. So uh, you, that's who I am. But enough about me. Every weekday, 1 to 3 p.m., I have this opportunity to do this program. I love it. I enjoy it. I am absolutely delighted to be here in Las Vegas. Moved here a few years ago from California, and thus is why I call myself Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. By the way, the converts generally are, and they say this at least in religion, the converts are the most uh you know, ardent, faithful uh, folks in the pews. And that is, uh, I think, it feels a little bit how that is with people who come here and love Nevada when they move here from out of state. Uh, there's so much uh, here that I adore and love, so grateful to be here. Um, I will get this hour into the debate raging right now in the House over the debt ceiling bill because there's some development on that uh, things are certainly heating up. Of course, you know that Biden is digging his heels in and says he wants the money now, cuts later. And I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like an unacceptable proposition. So I'll tell you what's going on with that, and um, we'll do that here at the bottom of the hour. But I need to bring to your attention a very important I, this is a, a, a huge release of information. The National Institute of Health has released a, a study. They now are, uh, well, they're now concluding and, and being very, um, what, how would I put this? They are confirming that it turns out that kids, People that go through, kids, adults, everybody, they go through sex reassignment surgery, including hormone treatment that's aimed at making a person's body, let's say, as congruent as possible with the opposite sex, right? We call this, what's the euphemism? Gender-affirming care. Found out that there is uh, much higher overall mortality, suicide 
among people who've had sex change operations versus the ones that they haven't, particularly, particularly death from suicide and an increased risk for suicide attempts. Now, why is this breaking news relevant? Because the entire conversation over gender-affirming care, over trans surgeries for kids, is that this is the only means by which we prevent kids from self-harming themselves, those that are identifying as the opposite gender. Now, the numbers here are uh, the number of people that have been persuaded, the number of parents, for example, that have been persuaded to send their kids through sex reassignment surgery on the basis of that statistic is, I mean, I, I can't, it's, there's some, okay, let's say over the last five years, one number that I found here was that at least 14,726 minors over the last five years have started hormone treatment. And that's, by the way, that's between 2017 and 2021. I would, I would argue that 2022, uh, the numbers went up significantly and, and it's been on the rise since. Now, when you look at uh, insurance claims, there are fewer. I mean, there's 56, apparently, in, from 2019 to 2021, 56 genital surgeries over three years among patients 13 to 17. 2019 to 2021, at least 776 mastectomies over three years performed on kids 13 to 17. And that's just in the U.S. It's unacceptable. Now, the data... I want to tell you, this is interesting because this, this study, you've heard the study, right? You've heard politicians talk about it. If we are not compassionate with trans youth, they will do harm to themselves. And by the way, one of the statistics that is most often referenced is the 48% of young trans people have at least attempted suicide. This study... This study, that number is based on, and you're not going to believe this, it's based on a British study. It's actually not even a study. It's a survey that was promoted on a UK LGBT website. Guess how many respondents they had. By the way, these are not people that were chosen or selected for a study. These are just people that responded on a website. They weren't qualified. They're, you know, nothing didn't gather any. There's no means of independently verifying any information that was submitted. These were respondents on a website. Guess how many people responded? I'll wait. 27. 27 British only trans teens responded in that survey. And that is. The basis, it's, it's absolutely insane. If you go to, all this data's available, it's there. Now, just like with COVID, the left does not let science get in the way of their agenda. And we have known, by the way, we've known that since 2011, persons with transsexualism after sex reassignment have considerably higher risks for mortality 
particularly suicidal behavior and other psychiatric morbidity than the general population. Now, why is this? Well, certainly one part of being transsexual is that you know you have other associated, in many cases, other associated uh, psychiatric problems that we are not treating general psychiatric condition of kids that present to these counselors at these gender clinics that we don't deal with underlying issues like, for example, bipolar disorder of which a considerable number of kids have a, 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 a we'll call it a co-diagnosis with either bipolar disorder, autism, etc. The number is Producer Robert, remind me what, what is this is like in the, it's it's about 82, 90 to 80 to 90 percent of kids that are presenting with gender dysphoria to these clinics also have diagnoses of bipolar disorder, of autism. No doubt these are things that ought to be treated, but they are not because there is this insane effort underway right now to fast track these kids and it's all for the purpose of an agenda and the agenda listen the agenda folks is uh, I, I mean it is it, it, the, 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 the left has run with this because for them it is the next class of victims they need victims they need people that they can go out and protect. And, and moreover, too, I'll tell you, for the, for the medical profession, this is a cynical ploy to make money. And we've played the tapes here on this program. It's shocking. They're, they're having these meetings. They had. They, I don't think they're doing it as much anymore. But they had these meetings in the open, and they posted the videos on their websites. They literally would hold seminars about how much money they could make, the hospital could make for a top surgery or for a bottom. We saw this at Vanderbilt Medical Center and other places as well. This, this is just horrible stuff. But the underlying lie by which it is sold, not just to the individual victims of this barbaric practice, but also to the population at large and convince kind, good-hearted, albeit perhaps weak Americans to say, well, you know, we really ought to do this. And my concern is really for the kids because we don't, we don't certainly don't want to harm kids. And I mean, I, I could, I could not agree more with that. Of course, my point is that the data is wrong and the Fauci linked national Institute of health has, by the way, is acknowledging it now, but they've known it. They have known it all along. This is a scandal of epic proportion. Everything I have been saying here on this program is, is, is turning out to be true. And I understand it's causing some people a great deal of heartburn, and I'm sorry for that. But my job here is to tell the truth and, and, and face this head on, and I, I'm just, I'm absolutely heartbroken. Can you imagine doing this kind of stuff to kids to a 13-year-old? As one of my very close 
gay friends uh, said to me many and many times, again, these are parents in many cases that would rather have, speaking of, a boy presenting with, I guess, some identity issues and acting like a girl and liking the color pink and playing with dolls. My gay friend says to me, these are parents, maybe, they, maybe they'd rather have a trans son than a gay, you know, a, a trans girl than a gay son. But what we really know about this is that many loving parents who are ignorant of some of these facts are told by these counselors, if you do not go along with this, you may end up with a dead son. And as a parent of three kids, I cannot tell you how heartbreaking it is to see the level of manipulation by these people of parents and kids. Absolutely disgusting. Sam Rajofsky, you're listening to The What's Right Show. I'll be back in a moment. Just during the break, I was going through some of my pictures from my trip to Europe back on Monday afternoon. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Just posted a few more from uh, our, our flight back, starting with leaving Prague and then heading to Zurich, where we were at the airport, and then the flight back to Las Vegas. If you'd like to see my photos from my trip, all right, here you go. What's Right Sam? That's my Instagram account, at What's Right Sam. I've got the photos on there. Got some other photos from the trip as well. So please enjoy Prague, a beautiful city. If you have not been, highly recommend it. Got some photos from there too. So enjoy that. Now, the facts are trickling out the National Institute of Health admitting admitting that they've known since at least 2011 that persons who undergo sex reassignment surgery are more, not less likely, to die, particularly of suicide. Now, this is uh, exactly opposite what we're being uh, shouted at all the time, that if we are not compassionate, we don't fast-track or provide uh, gender-affirming care to kids that they're likely uh, to self-harm. Here is uh, just a couple. Well, I've got three. Three examples that are just fairly recently on the debate over protecting uh, trans kids. It's going on right now. Teresa Fernandez, Democrat, New Mexico, had this to say on the subject. When you bully these kids, it can lead to their death. I'm worried that this bill will lead to rising suicide rates among the most vulnerable kids in our schools. Studies have shown that the problem isn't whether a kid is trans or not, it is are they accepted. At a time when trans kids face alarming rates of behavioral and mental health issues, when 53% of trans kids have considered suicide, my colleagues have chosen to use fear to score political points. Yeah. So there's the other. Now she's saying 53% of kids have considered. So, okay, 53. And if you don't go along with it, if you don't help them, if you don't give them gender-affirming care, it's going to get ugly. That is what the subtext of that is. Here is Representative Catherine Clark, 
Democrat Massachusetts, of course, on trans kid suicide. It doesn't stop. 86% of our trans youth will have suicidal ideation and 56% will attempt suicide. What are we doing here? What are we doing here as members of Congress? Yeah. Well, uh, you got to get your statistics right. Maybe you need to get on the same page with the National Institute of Health. Because what you're proposing to do doesn't help. And those of us, let me, and again, just to be, make my position on the subject very clear, I, I think kids ought to wait to transition until they become, become adults. I'm not anti-trans, I'm not anti-transition, I'm just anti-kids transitioning, okay? I don't think kids at 13 should do it. And by the way, it is absolutely barbaric to give to a child drugs and to perform surgery on them that makes it so they never will grow up to have an orgasm or any semblance of a normal sex life. It is bad. It's not good. No wonder there is more, not less, mental health problems that occur after quote-unquote gender-affirming care is given. But this does not prevent Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, Democrat, Texas. She's still around. Jeez Louise. She's talking about trans kids' suicides, which she had. I want to just point uh, to a stark reality. 53% of trans kids considered suicide last year. When will we realize that we have the right to freedom of religion? We have a right to our beliefs. And in that, we have no right to undermine and threaten the lives of trans children. I stand in opposition to this mean-spirited legislation because I'm a woman of faith, and I believe in the humanity of all children. I don't know what kind of faith Representative Sheila Jackson Lee has that would make it okay for kids, I guess children, to be mutilated by adults, fast-tracked into something they don't understand, and oftentimes... Uh, you know, an issue that is presenting itself together with other very serious mental health problems such as bipolar disorder, autism, etc. Now, in her boy book, this is a, by a great book on the subject, Helen Joyce writes uh, a, a book called Trans. Helen Joyce was a editor for The Economist in, in Great Britain. She's a statistician, okay? She's a math person. She's not an ideologue. And she gets into the subject looking at the data, and she has an awakening on the matter of, 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 of this, this subject, particularly trans surgeries for kids. And remember, there was a major uh, scandal in Great Britain because the only pediatric gender clinic in Great Britain was shut down. The Brits, the National Health Service, the, the woke medicine for all people over in Great Britain, socialist medicine, they shut their pediatric clinic because they found out the sad, sorry truth that we haven't yet come to accept here in the U.S. is that these clinics, that clinic in particular, was fast-tracking kids and was, was, was mutilating ch children. Now, she references here, of course, the study where there was the, you know, the endlessly repeated figure of 48% for the share of young trans people who have attempted suicide. 
She writes, it turns out to be based on the responses of 27 British trans people in a larger survey promoted on LGBT websites. The researchers writing for, and this was all the way back in 2017, Fourth Wave Now's website, Ray Blanchard and Michael Bailey debunked the transition or death narrative. Suicide is somewhat more common among gender dysphoric people than the general population, but that elevated risk can be explained by gender dysphoria co-occurring with other mental health conditions. We have to get real about this, people, but no, the left will continue to demagogue on the subject and put our children in harm's way. Absolutely unacceptable. Now, when I return, speaking of demagoguery, let's get to the debt ceiling increase here. What is going on? I will explain all. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will continue here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234 or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. All right, listen up, friends. Sam Rajofsky here from the What's Right Show. Uh, Look, I've been saying this again and again. Things you need to know as a consumer here in Las Vegas and beyond. One of my greatest shocks as a guy, but also as a lawyer moving to Nevada, is that the good old boys club uh, here in town had a certain way of doing things. And they still do. One of the things that some, not all, but quite enough to get the attention of me and others is this practice of going to the scene of the accident, sending folks out there, paralegals, investigators, middlemen, to get you signed up. Now, it's illegal for attorneys, directly or indirectly, in the state of Nevada to sign you up at the scene of an accident. Yet, it happens every single day. Tow truck drivers are out there. They're listening to police scanners. And then they bring the case to the lawyer and say, I got a lawyer for you. I got a lawyer for you. They deliver your name and your number to the lawyer. The lawyer pays them cash, often a few thousand dollars. This adds up. But it is wrong. And any lawyer that is willing to break the law just to get you signed up will break the law down the road when when, when he's got your money or he's got your medical records or he's got your social security number. I mean, this is is not good. The most important thing is that this happened to you. You may be entitled to compensation. You may be able to unwind your agreement that you have with your lawyer and start over. What a relief that would be. Call or text Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234. That's right. Call or text 702-820-1234. It's never, and I mean never too late, to hire an honest and ethical law firm. That's 702-820-1234. Or visit samandashlaw.com because you deserve a lawyer that does what's right. All right, Republicans on Capitol Hill are trying to figure out what it means to do the right thing. As we speak, the vote is underway on a debt ceiling bill increase. Now, 
let's see here. The totals are 208 to 220, 220 nay, so it's losing right now. This is consistent with what I've believed would happen. The, the bill, by the way, that is being considered uh, is House Resolution 327. It's called the Limit Save Grow Act, and this is the GOP debt ceiling bill. It has significant cuts. But for many conservative members, it is not enough. The original draft of the bill, as reviewed by the Congressional Budget Office, which, by the way, I don't take anything these people say seriously. These people priced Obamacare at, I, I don't know, up to like 5%, 7% of what its then subsequent cost ended up being. But anyway, the CBO found that the original draft would save $4.8 trillion over the next 10 years. It does make some significant cuts, which is why Biden is foaming at the mouth even over the existing bill. The plan would return $90 billion, for example, of unspent COVID money, repeal $80 billion Democrats approved for their IRS army, you know, all those extra IRS agents, going after your, you know, your your Etsy cash. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Oh, you know what? Because the Democrats are for the little guy. You never forget that, okay? And the trillions of dollars in Green New Deal funny money put out there by Biden and his, well, and his compatriots. They also want to end, Republicans want to end through this bill, $100 billion in wasteful spending identified by Andy Biggs and others. Again, the green projects, energy sector, you know, changes, EV stuff, all this stuff, right? All right. No. They also want people who are on federal programs to get employment. And there's a, there's a requirement that'll kick in in 2025. Republicans want it to kick in next year, in 2024. Of course, Democrats are going to oppose that. Here is what Matt Gates, when interviewed about all this, had to say. Now, I think this is important because he is the leader, or I would say one of the leaders, influential members in the House with the conservative caucus. Here he is last night on CNN with Michael Spurkonish. Uh, Spurkonish asks him about spending, Republicans finding religion on spending. Listen to this. So when did Republicans find religion on spending? Well, I think you have seen a little more than a dozen of us never vote for an increase in the debt limit. And so to do so, there has to be substantial downward pressure on spending. We're deeply concerned about a $32 trillion debt, what that means in terms of the dollar's position as the global reserve currency, and the extent to which government spending is driving the very inflation that we were elected to check. So we think Joe Biden should negotiate. That's what Democrat Joe Manchin said. That's what Democrat House member Jared Moskowitz said. And I think the American people understand that those negotiations are necessary in divided government. Yeah, of course. The only person that doesn't get it is uh, Joe uh, because, you know, in, in, in fantasy land, in Bidenlandia, where... There are no rules about economics or about gravity, for that matter. Um, well, I guess, you know, he's, he's basically said, I'm not negotiating. We're just going to increase the debt ceiling. That's it. You know, pound sand. Now, gets, get Gates, Matt Gates, congressman from Florida, gets at the issue here about, 
you know, spend now, pay later, which is, of course, a poor idea or poor way of managing anyone's finances, including the country's. And that's why he says this. The oldest trick in Washington is to delay things two, three, five years down the road to tell the voters that you believe in them, but to get the spending now and the cuts delayed. I'm not falling for that trick. My colleagues who uh, put conditions on Speaker McCarthy are not going to fall for that trick. Yeah, and I think my sense is, based on who is opposing this Republican bill that is put forth by House leadership, my sense is it just doesn't go far enough. My sense is this, the, you got to get real on this. He's right, by the way, about inflationary spending. The more the government spends, the, the less valuable your dollar is because the government isn't coming up with that money. They're printing more money. It's funny money. They're putting it out there. And it reduces the value of everything that you have in your bank account or that you get in your paycheck. So Biden out there, I'm out there working my butt off for the common man. I'm out there working for big labor, you know, the, the people that are bringing home their, their biweekly paycheck. It's a load of crap. So this is, you know, this is what it is. Now, uh, Smirkonish then asked him about, uh, asked Matt Gates about the catastrophic consequences of not reaching a deal defaulting on debt, the hand-wringing, I have to say this first, the hand-wringing over the default of debt and all this stuff, it's largely nonsense. There is enough revenue to cover debt service, for example, 11 times over. That's our cash flow from tax receipts, etc. Well, at least for now, we'll see how badly the economy fares in the coming year. But right now, we're, we're pretty good. So this, this, you know, this, the sky is falling, chicken little thing. I'm not, I'm not necessarily going for it, but I understand it scares the public. And the Biden people, the administration intends to use this as a powerful weapon to, um, to make Republicans wobble. So here's uh, Gates's response to this question by Michael Smirkonish at CNN asking about the catastrophic consequences of not reaching a deal. Right now, we're working to get a responsible fiscal policy sent to the Senate. We believe that puts pressure on Schumer and Biden to work with us to try to uh, avoid the catastrophic consequences you mentioned. But don't forget, there are also catastrophic consequences if we continue to drive these deficits up and this debt further and further into the future. That risks every economic opportunity for every American. And if we lose this dollar and if inflation continues, the savagery to the American family and the American economy will be severe. He's, he's not wrong. I find myself surprised uh, at how much I agree with Matt Gates lately. Now, Smirkonish finally asks him, so can Speaker McCarthy can lose four right now? How many holdouts are there? Gates says twice that, meaning probably about eight. He last night thought that there wouldn't be a vote as planned tomorrow. Now the vote's going on. Let me check on it here real fast before we head into the break. Yeah, the nays got a minute 20 left, and the nays appear to, to have it. It's close, 194 to 206. I'll fill you in after the break here. Don't go anywhere. You've listened to the What's Right show. I'm still here. I'm still here. One more segment. Fear not. I, Sam Rajofsky, your host, will be back. Don't go anywhere. 
All right. All right. I'm checking the vote here on the debt ceiling limit increase. Still doesn't look good. Let me see what the update is. Uh, yeah, nays. It's done. Yeah, they did not pass. Uh, 210 to 215. Sam Marjofsky here. News Talk 840 KXNT. All right. A handful of principled conservatives in the House of Representatives, my take, based on what I'm seeing, are holding firm on this. And that's good. Remember when my take on the speakership vote was, when everybody was saying, look, this just, they look like clowns. This is sad. The world's laughing at us. Ha ha, stupid Republicans. You know what they showed everybody? They showed the Republicans that held out, yes, Matt Gates and others, showed that they wouldn't bow to pressure. So if I'm Joe Biden and I am publicly saying, there's no negotiating, I'm not negotiating with you, give me, raise the limit, and then we can talk about cuts. He's got to be thinking a little bit at the back of the mind. Forget Speaker McCarthy. I mean, he's a political animal, but he's got to think like, look, there's, there's, there are enough members in the House that are going to hold firm. They can dig their heels in. And unless it passes the House, it doesn't get done, doesn't happen. So these are the positive consequences, I think, of, of, that, of that effort there to get a speaker elected in the House of Representatives and all the criticism that was thrown at that process by the mainstream media and others. Yeah, uh, no, it, being principled uh, is never out of fashion. Now, I got an interesting uh, email here from a listener, uh, Dennis. Uh, grateful for an interesting question. Uh, Dennis was asking if the Constitution prohibits both the president and vice president from being from the same state. And this is the context for this. We were earlier talking about some noise, some chatter about the possibility of ultimately Trump and DeSantis you know, pairing up. And, of course, both DeSantis and Trump now are domiciled in Florida. Now, first things first, obviously, the quick solution, if this were the, were the law, were the way the Constitution worked, um, you, know, I, you know, Trump's got other houses all over. I mean, he, he could change his residence. Not the best move, not the easiest move, but he could do it. But here's the real – here's how it really works. It's if you've got two electors, uh, two candidates from the same party – the electors from their home state, in this case Florida, couldn't all vote for both of them. Both of them, they'd have to pick. So the electors would either have to vote for Trump or have to vote for uh, DeSantis. And that, um, you know, that that's that's how that works. So they they certainly would be welcome to run. However, you know, there are a number of uh, Florida is a populous state. It has a lot of electoral votes. So it would effectively you know, split the electoral votes that they would get from Florida, but they would still be able to, if they win Florida, which I have no doubt that DeSantis or Trump would both win Florida, um, you know, they, they would still prevail. They would both be able to be elected president by the electoral college. That's my reading of the Constitution. Uh, so, 
But that's a great, great question, great point. Um, you know, can two candidates run on the same ticket from the same state? And the answer is yes, but they can't necessarily get, uh, you know, the electors in that state can't vote for them, you know, for both of them. They have to pick one or the other. All right. This has been, I'll tell you, this has been a show. This has been a show. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I know. Well, I got to, I was going to talk a little bit about, a little bit about Tucker. You know, a lot of people are saying since Tucker was fired from, from Fox News and all these different things that he could be doing, including, by the way, there's some people saying, you know, that Tucker should run for president. I don't think he wants to do that. Uh, but, you know, he could start his own thing. He could, you know, go to a, a different platform. And I, I had a, a, a friend reach out and say, you know, just remember the, you know, Bill O'Reilly. Because Bill O'Reilly, when he, you know, he left Fox, everybody, everybody talked about what Bill was going to do. He was going to basically launch a rival to Fox News. And it, it really never materialized. I mean, Bill O'Reilly, you know, that was the kind of reached his peak zenith professionally. When he when he did the, uh, the the factor on Fox, now my answer to this though is that Tucker is not Bill O'Reilly, okay? And there are some key, critical, big differences. And one of the well, one of the biggest ones is that uh, one Tucker is, he, I mean, he's a he's a passionate thought leader. No one right now, I think, in some ways articulates conservatism, particularly cultural conservatism, as well as Tucker does. Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly was just a grouchy guy who was, you know, you know, would hold people accountable and did did interviews and squinted his eyes and poked his finger and he was kind of a nasty guy. But I can't say necessarily that he was a defender of conservatism. He was a maybe a journalist, okay? But he was not a particularly likable guy either. So it, it's, it, it, Tucker's a totally different animal. This is a totally different deal. Now, the other thing is, is that Tucker has, I think, more allies than Bill O'Reilly did at the time of his ouster. Uh, Tucker has, uh, you know, a, I, by all accounts, it seems to be a supportive home life. Not the case with Bill O'Reilly. He's got there's a lot of things Tucker's got going for him that are certainly factors in a man's success. I'm not going to lie, right? Happy home life is is up there. So I, I you know, I'm not going to. He, he, there's a lot that he could do, but you know, he's a he's really a great essayist. He's a great writer, but he also looks great on TV. I. He, you know he'll he'll find some place he'll land someplace and he'll make it wildly successful that much i can predict now speaking of the event itself speculation continues as to why this all happened i just thought it'd be interesting here aoc after the yes alexandria ocasio cortez after tucker had that show on january 6th she had this to say and maybe I don't know, maybe the Murdochs were listening. I believe that when it comes to broadcast television, like Fox News, these are subject to to federal law, federal regulation in terms of what's allowed on air and what isn't. 
And when you look at what Tucker Carlson and some of these other folks on Fox do, it is very, very clearly incitement of violence, very clearly incitement of violence. And that is the line that I think we have to uh, be willing to contend with. What an absolute load of drivel. But mark my words, I guarantee you, uh, in the hallways of Fox News up there in the C-suite, uh, there are people that agreed with Ocasio-Cortez and took her side on this, as a matter of fact. So we know, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch uh, is a uh, close friend of Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader. No chin, Mitch. You know that Mitch McConnell, no doubt, was a little irritated uh, by, you know, what was said uh, by uh, in this program. Uh, the particular show on January said, "So I don't know. I'm just saying. I think these were all these were all. There's not one single thing that led to this, but uh, there are a number of factors. And I, for one, absolutely wish Tucker well. And I'll tell you, success is the best." And I mean the best form of revenge. Okay, folks, that's the music. I got to go. I'll be back here tomorrow doing the thing that I do. Sam Rajovsky, What's Right Show. See you then.